Welcome to The Balance. I am your host, Kelly Rowland, and this is the podcast where we talk about all the things. For those in life who want it all, this podcast is for you. Hello, beautiful listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of The Balance. Today, we are going to continue on from last episode, which was talking about the boy's birth story and about our NICU journey and what the beginning of their life looks like and what the beginning of parenthood looks like for Skylar and I. So just to quickly recap, last episode we talked about how my boys were born three months early, kind of what that day looked like for me, how it was the scariest day of my life, and I did let you all know that, of course, they did make it through delivery. It was extremely hard for them, but they did make it through. And so today, I just wanted to pick pick up where I left off and kind of just walk you through what the NICU was like for us as best I can. Um, It's kind of hard to cover in a podcast episode everything, all the emotions, all the dynamics that went into it, all the struggles, all the joy, all the just all the hardships that go into something as as crazy as as what we went through, um, which is why I actually want to write a book about it. So that's something on my goals list to kind of just write down the whole experience and what we we learned through it. So without further ado, um, so yeah, the very first day that the boys were born, um, or, you know, that night, I, I was not allowed to see them for hours and hours and hours after they were born. I went through a pretty rough C-section and I was on a morphine, morphine drip and At one point, you know, I told them, I'm like, I have to go see my kids. Y'all have got to let me out of this hospital bed to go see my children. And they said, you can't even walk. And I I remember it's it's a funny moment and a hard time, but I picked my legs off the bed and I moved them through the air like I was running and everyone laughed and because I was showing them I could certainly walk. And it was a much needed, you know, comic relief in a time that was really, really hard and a time that wasn't, I didn't know how hard it was going to be. I was still, the beginning stages of the NICU were very naive times for me. I look back and I realize my faith was very large and my understanding was very small. Even though a doctor came in, you know, from the NICU to explain to Skylar and I about the NICU and to explain to us about the NICU roller coaster, that there was going to be ups, there was going to be downs. They let us know up front it was going to be very, very hard. And we knew it was going to be hard. I mean, when you bring a one pound, two pound baby into this world, you don't expect things to be easy. You don't expect to not have those, um, you know, those hard times and to hit bumps in the road and to have setbacks. Those things, those are things, of course, that you would expect. But Skylar and I literally prayed together that our boys would be Nikki rock stars, that they would just show everyone how amazing they were, and they were going to get through the Nikki in record time. And I can tell you, I mean, we believe this. We really prayed this prayer. We had this faith that that was going to happen. And um, yeah, so we started the Nikki journey that way. And the first week was, it was really hard. Um, 
a lot of emotions as just and, and I spoke about a lot of this last you know the last episode but there was a lot of anger towards the hospital for not heeding all the warnings and me going to the doctor three times there was a lot of confusion and pain on my part and failure to feel like a mother to feel like I'd failed my children um, there was all those things that went into that week one and the NICU is a sensory place meaning uh I'm kind of getting all over the place but it it's very hard on your senses because alarms are always going off um you're not just in a room at least the NICU we were in with just your children you're in a room with 10 kids um ranging from you know we were in the most most critical part in the beginning and pretty much the whole time we were there but um the NICU is insane and there's kids all kind of things going on with them. Preemies that were just too small. They had birth defects. They had holes in their heart. They, I mean, you name it, they were in there. And so, you know, you have all these families. You have all these children. Alarms are dinging. Nurses are going back and forth. There's usually one nurse to two kids. Sometimes one child demands attention from one nurse all day long. And it's constant, nonstop care. The NICU nurses are freaking amazing. And we love them. But So it was just an eye-opening experience to walk into motherhood, to parenthood this way, to the very first time I saw my children. Um, they did let me go to see my kids, by the way, that, that first night. And I walked into the NICU, and I'm so sorry, my dog's growling. I walked into the NICU, and there Kaysen was. He was the first incubator um, in the room. I'm sorry, y'all. Jackson... Jackson, honey, chill. The balance, people. It's real life here <laughs> at the Roland House. But um, I walked into the NICU, and there he was. And I cannot explain to you my emotions when I first saw him. They were all over the place. Hush. Sorry, y'all. It's an important moment. He's ruining it. But um, I walk in, and I didn't know what a one-pound, two-pound baby was going to look like. You know, you have these, like, horrors in your head of them not being developed yet or just... You, you're just all over the place. You don't know what to expect. And so I walk in, and there's Kaysen, and he's perfect. His body is the tiniest little thing you've ever seen in your life, but oh my God, is he perfect. He's perfectly made. He's perfectly formed. His little fingers, their little fingers and hands, I was mesmerized with them. I, I couldn't stop looking at their hands. Um, he was absolutely beautiful. And But what I can tell you is that when I looked at him, I mean, for all I knew, he wasn't even mine. And I, I know that may sound cold or that may sound unmotherly, but I remember you guys, I did not see them come into the world. I did not hold them when they were born and I didn't see them for hours later. All I had to prove that I had had my children was that my belly was no longer big and I had a ginormous scar running across it. That was the only proof to me that those children were brought into this world. Not to say that I didn't connect with him instantly, because I, I certainly did, but there was just all these milling feelings, all these emotions. Um, I was not even allowed to touch them. They did allow us to touch their hand to reach in, but I was terrified because I was terrified, even though I had scrubbed in when I came in that NICU, that I was going to transfer something to him. And it was just, oh, it was a beautiful moment. And it was the same for when I went and saw Asher. He was in the back of the room. They eventually moved them closer together, which we were thankful for. But Asher was even smaller. 
and oh god ah, he was just so tiny and so beautiful and so perfect and Asher actually um I'll never ever forget this moment it was maybe the first day or the second day um Asher was very big on he would open his eyes in the very beginning Kason was such a stinker and would not open his eyes for the longest time but Asher there was a day and I, I did hold his, he was holding my, my finger when I was, oh, his tiny little hand and he opened his eyes for the first time and he locked his eyes on me and I stared at him and it was just this beautiful moment. I was standing beside my dad and uh, we cried, we both cried and we prayed for him and for Kaysen and it was just, it was a really beautiful moment and a really, uh, it, it was, this mama's heart needed him to lock his eyes on me and to hold my hand and for me to know that that is my son and that we were going to get through this together. So the first week I could not, I could not even hold my children for the whole first week they were born. God, I was looking so forward to this day. I could not wait for it. It's called kangaroo care. It's where you take their pretty much naked bodies. They have a diaper and you slip it in your shirt and you are skin to skin. And that's the only way that you can hold them. It is so beneficial for them and for you as a mother. Um, But you hold them close to your chest. You can only do it for 45 minutes because they have to constantly check their body heat to make sure they're maintaining a certain level. And, oh, that first time that I held Asher first... It was the best moment of my life. I mean, hands down, the best moment of my life because I was finally able to have that moment as a mother where you hold, God, like, I just knew when he hit my chest that he was mine and I felt like a mother. I finally was able to have that feeling that I'm a mom. This is my baby. And it was, oh, it was the most beautiful moment. And it was a moment I will never forget. Brandy is the nurse um, that put him in my shirt. And guys, this is, this is so, unless you've seen this maybe on YouTube or something of a mother holding a, a preemie baby. This is not like I pick him out of the incubator and I hold him to my chest. This is, they open it up, they get 10 cords situated that's connected to him. They get his IV situated that's connected him. His feeding tube that's going down his throat straight to his stomach connected in a certain way that when they pull him out, everything's okay. All the cords are lined up. I have to pull my shirt out wide and they slip his legs down past my breast and his little chest is on my chest and you make sure everything's perfect. Sometimes they have to tape the cords to your arm just to make sure, you know, everything was good. But it's not the most ideal situation or how you picture holding your child for the first time. But I took every second of it in. And I'm telling you, I needed that moment more than anything. Um, At that point, I was pumping. It's the only thing I could do. Pumping for twins. And I pumped religiously. I pumped every two hours. And... Pumping was really hard for me, um, and I this is scientifically proven because I was so distraught over it. I had to research it, but when I had my letdown, I became extremely depressed feeling, like empty. I felt empty. I felt sick to my stomach, and, you know, it was so hard because I couldn't connect with them. I couldn't even hold my kids for a week, but I was still pumping, pumping, pumping for them, and I literally felt like a pump house, and I knew that that milk, that breast milk was the best thing for them, and I'm not doubting people who don't breastfeed and, you know, like, 
honoring those that do. But if I had not provided breast milk for my kids, then they would have gotten donated milk to give them. Because when your child's a preemie, that breast milk is like a miracle drug and they have to have it. So I was going to do my best to make sure I provided for them. But it was really hard for me. And it was just because of the mental state it put me through. And eventually, um, I started pumping bedside. I would put curtains up and it would really help me just have that connection with them just to see them and know I'm pumping for them and that they're here and that, you know, it was all for a good cause. And so that's kind of what the first week looked like. Just a bunch of emotions, adjusting to the NICU life, adjusting to the monitors, learning what everything meant. You learned everything you could to know what was going on with your children, learning the doctors, picking out, you know, your preferred nurses, um, our primary nurses, which is amazing. When you're there for a long length of time, you can choose your nurses because, you know, there's just those people you bond with. Not to say they're not all amazing, but because they are. But we found those primary nurses, and for me, those women, and they know how I feel about them, um, they became my best friends. They became people that I trusted because I couldn't be there 24-7. And those women were mothers to my kids, and they loved them like their own. And I'm forever grateful for them and what they did for our family. So that first week was just really getting adjusted and going through the anger, going through the pain, going through the struggle, you know, really building that faith foundation that we were going to need because it was going to be a very long journey. Um, Because that first week, the things that were happening were expected to happen. As hard as they were, they were expected. It was nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing crazy happened. And so it was hard, but it was understandable. And so we went through weeks and weeks and things started to get a little better. But for our boys, it was kind of slower. There's a thing, and I'm sorry, but this is real, so don't get upset. It's called wimpy white boy syndrome in the NICU because it's proven that white or Caucasian males have the hardest time in the NICU. It takes them substantially longer to get through than the number one person who gets through a NICU, which is an African-American female. African-American females kick butt in the NICU. They get through there because they're rock stars and they fight and they're like, mama, I want to go home. Daddy, take me home. Um, But the little white boys, they have the hardest time. They're just kind of wimpy and that's what they call it. So, you know, they were being little wimpy boys and they would just take their time and you know, hitting the milestones that they needed to hit. And eventually we got to a place where we were moved to not the next, like it was an in-between level, like not the worst, but not the best, but in between. They're kind of like, they didn't call it triage, but anyway, we moved to a different level. We were so excited about it. It was going great. Things were going well. We were starting to feed. They were actually coming off, um, you know, they were breathing on their own, no assistance. And then things got extremely, extremely hard. Um, they took 15 steps back and started not breathing for long periods of time where they would turn blue. They would need to be bagged. Um, literally had to have oxygen pressed into their lungs to bring them back because they would go down so hard. Their heart rate would drop into the 50s, which is a, a scary low for a baby. I mean, the baby should be you know, 130 to 180. I mean, not 180, but very high. And so these things started happening and it became, I mean, everything I say is just going to understate it, but it was, 
unbearable to hold, you know, you're holding your baby and you're, you're either talking to your spouse or you're talking to a nurse or you're just sitting there just loving on your baby and then you realize they're not breathing at all. I mean, they are completely limp, completely lifeless. They are turning blue. They're getting cachectic where all their blood is leaving their fingers and their toes and rushing to protect the brain and rushing to protect the heart. And when that happens, when it starts to happen, you start to slowly stimulate them. Like you tap their foot, you squeeze their hand and you yell their name. And when that doesn't work, you sit them up and you like stroke their back kind of aggressive, aggressively. And then you would flick the fire out of their foot to where you know it would hurt them. And then when that didn't work, that's when you would go to bagging. And there were so many instances where things were, ext- I mean, extremely bad. And we only saw a few of the bad episodes a few mm-hmm. times, but I can tell you it is absolutely terrifying to watch a professional struggle to bring your child to a point where they're breathing on their own. Um, Asher actually was coded five different times in the hospital. They literally had to hit the code button to have as many doctors and nurses rush to his side to help him breathe again to save his life. There was actually a time where it took him them five minutes. He he went without a chest rise for five minutes. And they had to pick him up, throw him on the counter to get a flat enough surface on his back to where when they did do the bag and when they pushed oxygen into his lungs, they got a good response to it. And glory be to God that when the tests were done to check brain damage, everything was fine and that he was okay. And, you know, the crazy part about that part of the story is the night before Skylar and I had prayed together and we had come to an agreement between each other that we were going to be strong in our faith no matter what happened, that we were going to hold our faith and that everything was going to be fine and that we weren't going to lose it. We weren't going to, you know, not that we weren't going to have bad days, but that we were going to be so strong in our faith and not let anything shake us. And then the next day that happened. But because of our conversation that we had, we truly, truly believed that everything was going to be okay. And as hard, it was so hard. It was so hard to hear those words. And, but we knew that everything was going to be okay. And I can tell you that the whole NICU experience, our faith was shaken so many times. I can tell you, I hit my knees in my living room and I screamed and I begged God to please heal them because I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take calling at night or calling in the early morning to get an update about how everything was going and hear that they had to be resuscitated four times in the night or they had five episodes during the night. Whatever it was, I'm telling you, we never got a break hardly. It was, it was, if one had a great night, the other one didn't. And your heart can only take so much and you want answers and you want to know why God is not answering your prayers. And I can tell you, I went through that, that emotional struggle and that, that faithful, oh my, my faith was tested so hard because I prayed the same prayer 
over and over and over. And when I prayed it, I'm telling you, friends, that I believed it. When I asked God to heal my children and I asked God, God, let this be the last time that my child forgets to breathe. Let this be the last time. Let when I call that I get a great report that my children just are able to breathe on their own. Such a simple thing that we take so for granted and my children couldn't do it. They couldn't figure it out. Nurses were coming to us worried, concerned, doing their own research. They had no idea why babies who were getting in, you know, the four or five pound range still couldn't breathe on their own. And they did so many tests and they did so many things, but it was so painful for us and it was so hard for us and we struggled through it so very hard. And when I prayed that prayer, I'm telling you, I knew it was going to happen, but guess what? It didn't. Time and time and time again, the same story over and over and over. And then I started praying. I said, God, just reveal yourself to me. Let me know why you're doing this. Like, let me know what good is going to come from this. What is your grand plan? Why have you chosen my kids? And why have you chosen us to go through this journey for you? And because it, I know without a doubt the impact that my kids made on this world because we did share our journey. We had a Facebook group with about six to 700 people and I began to write almost daily. And for me, it became an outlet for me to, to share our struggles. And at first it was more of like an update, like, Hey, here's how the boys are doing. And here's what we need you to pray for. And then there was one day that I was sick and tired of being fake and being just like this optimistic person and not really sharing my true emotions because I said, you know, that's not what people need from me. People need to know what's going on and how it feels and what we're going through so that they can really pray for us and pray for not just the boys, but for us too. And so there was one day I just told everyone like, hey, I'm just going to be honest with you. This is so incredibly hard. And this is how we feel. And there was one day in particular that I referenced the poem Footsteps and how it talks about, you know, God carrying us through the hard times. And I was so honest and said, I don't feel like I'm being carried. I feel like I'm being body slammed over and over and over because that's what it felt like. I felt like I was just being hit left and right, left and right. And Skylar can tell you that he felt the same way too. It was... Oh, it was so hard. Oh, it was so hard. But we got through it because of our faith. And I did trust. We did trust. I told you, like I said last episode, I knew that those boys were going to come home. And I knew that everything was going to be okay. We just didn't know when. We had no idea when it was going to happen. And those 100 days and 90 days, 100 for Asher, 90 for Kaysen, were the longest time of my life. They are two and a half now. And I can promise you that that three months still feels longer than the last, you know, the last two years that we've had them at home. Because in those times, you literally, we told, Skylar and I tell people, you, you live, you live day by day hour by hour, minute by minute, and at times you have to live second by second. And during this time, I can tell you, I was so proud of Skylar because he really came out of his shell and his faith because there were multiple, multiple occasions where he went to someone, some parent in the NICU and prayed with them because God put it on his heart. And 
I was so proud of him to do that because that's not easy to do. That's something I have always struggled with and I've still have yet to do something like that. You know, I shared our story and I shared our struggles and I shared our faith, you know, publicly through a social media outlet. But for me to go pray with someone who's going through something like me was extremely, extremely hard. And I was just so proud of him to use his faith during that time to disciple two people. And, you know, that's just kind of what life does sometimes. Sometimes life throws us these monumental curveballs, things that are unfathomable, things that we can never imagine, things that make us angry, things that hurt us, things that we don't agree with God, that God, I I would never have chosen this for myself, but it's something that you chose for me. And I was reading Elisa Tierker's book recently, and what she said struck me so hard, and it's something that we did do, but I wish we'd have done earlier in our NICU journey and more often, and that was to not just pray to ch- for God to change your circumstances, because I know that God wants us to pray those big, big, big prayers that seem, you know, like they can't even happen or that are so big, it's like people think you're crazy, because God wants us to ask Him of those things. He wants to move those mountains for us, but... That doesn't mean he's always going to listen and listen right away because his his plans are better than ours and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So in those times where things aren't moving in the direction that we necessarily want to go, Lisa says, pray for grace to handle the circumstances that God gives you. So not just to pray to change the circumstance, but to God to be with you so closely that you handle that situation with so much grace and so much faith and so much just peace to know that God is there and that he's with you. And to also pray to be that disciple, to use it as an opportunity to witness to other people, because, you know, we have been able to use this journey already to impact people through that Facebook group, through going to the NICU, through speaking with other parents. I've shared this story to United Way groups, you know, across Escambia County in Florida. And, you know, I'm, I'm able to, you know, share my experience about the Ronald McDonald house, which we stayed at for a month and a half. I'm not also, I'm not only able to share that story, but I'm also able to share the story of our faith and to know that God did get us through this and that we knew he was going to get us through it, but it was just on his time. And so our our NICU experience was, it was, it was so hard, but we met so many beautiful people. Our faith grew substantially and I will never look at life the same and I will never, I, I became the mother I am today in that NICU because I take myself so less seriously because to me, life is so precious and life is so short and I could have lost either of my kids, if not both of them at any point in time, I could have died that day I delivered them, but we didn't. And God kept us, oh, he kept us alive and he kept his, his word and we got through it. So I honor that not perfectly. I still have so much work to do to honor what God has given me and our family. But I do know that life is short and life is precious and we have to really, you know, not take it for granted. And so that is what I really try to do every single day. And, you know, up until the end in the NICU, it was still hard. The day we discharged Kaysen, Asher came down with the flu and he had to go into isolation, which was almost a blessing because, oh, it was so guilty to take one home and you can't take the other. It was so very hard. And so it was easier because Asher wasn't there in the room when we took Kaysen home. And it was really hard going back and forth. And, you know, 
all you mamas know, having an infant at home is not easy. Like, yeah, mother's motherhood is beautiful. Having a child is beautiful. But lordy, it is hard. You don't sleep. It's hard. You've never been a mom before. The baby's crying. You don't know what to do. And in our case, you know, the kids had only known the NICU. That was the only environment they'd ever known. So they were, I'm sure, shell-shocked to know that there was something else out there that existed. So when we brought them home, it was really, really hard. They were fed on demand in the hospital. So every two hours we were feeding them and it was just, it was so hard, but it, I'm telling you, that's how we got through it. I mean, those first year of them home was kind of like a blur, but I can tell you it wasn't that bad because we had so much thankfulness in our heart that they were home and that we'd made it through. And it was just the most beautiful, beautiful thing because when they came home, they flourished. They were perfect. You would never know. Besides the fact they did come home on apnea monitors, which is a whole different ball game. That's scary too. But when your kids don't breathe like mine did, you still need to make sure like that mama heart needs to know they're breathing through the night. So they were on apnea monitors probably the first month that they were home. But Besides that, and they really didn't even need them. That was just more, you know, the doctors and ourselves just needing that extra little just reassurance to know everything was okay. But they flourish so amazingly. And people, they say things like that. They never know. They would never know what they went through. And for that, we are just so incredibly thankful. But I can tell you that Going through this journey has showed me and showed our family that we are capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. Because if you had told me what I was going to be in store for as a first-time mother, I would have told you that you're absolutely crazy and that there's no way I could get through that. There's no way I could do that to watch your one and two pound baby suffer for so long and to not be able to do anything. And that is one thing I did not mention, but we actually listened to an interview from J.R. Smith, who is a very famous basketball player. Him and his wife had a preemie and we were watching their interview and Skylar and I felt like we knew them and were best friends because everything they were saying, we could 100% relate to. And those feelings are just not feeling like you're in control. You can do nothing for your child. I, Skylar's, you know, for him, it was even harder because I at least could provide breast milk, which was so pivotal for them and survival. But in his mind, he was doing nothing and that he was failing us and there was nothing he could do. Everything was outside of our control. But that is when we really have to trust God. And when in those times, there's no other option. And we always talk about, you know, we didn't understand how people who didn't have faith got through it because for us, that was it. Yeah, our families were helpful. We definitely relied on each other and all those things. But, oh my goodness, without my faith and without that reassurance and that promise God had made to me that I knew that my boys were going to be okay, I, I don't know how we could have got through it. And I really don't think we could have gotten through it at least the way we did. And... And the way we did wasn't perfect. Um, if you ask the NICU nurses, they they praised us so much. And I never understood that. But And I think a lot of it was them just being so supportive and so sweet to us. But, you know, we really did try our best to carry ourselves the best that we could. And 
not saying we didn't let ourselves have those moments of weakness because those nurses saw me cry. Those nurses saw me get upset. Those nurses saw me in agony and just wishing that things would get better. But they were always honest with us and they always gave us straight up answers. And that is something I was so grateful for from the beginning because you want it straight. You don't want false hope or false sense of security or to think your baby's coming home, but they're really not. So it was just the the whole thing was eye opening it was life changing it was incredibly hard but i i also told you know in my facebook group uh, one night i was writing and i said and i told my dad this i said if i if if one person's life has been changed because of the experience we have gone through then i would do it again and I actually do mean that because that's what life is all about. It's about impacting people. And it's about, for God, it's about us being disciples and witnessing to people and changing people's lives. And our story was able to do that and encourage people. And sometimes I've heard later about how it encourages it encouraged people. And it literally brings me to tears. It brings me to tears so hard because that is validation that God had a plan in it all. Not that he wanted for us to suffer, not that he wanted our kids to go through what he, that they did, but because he knew the outcome, he knew we could get through it and that he knew the work that was going to be done through our situation. And, you know, it's hard for me to say I'm thankful for it because I don't want to sound like I'm being fake, but I don't know. Sometimes I am almost thankful for it because of the outcome and that everything was okay. And I really would do it again in a heartbeat to have my sweet boys because they're so healthy and they're so perfect. And it's not hard to believe what we went through, but sometimes when you look back and you think about everything we went through, it is kind of hard because that was a different world. That was our life. The Nikki was our life. We didn't do anything else. We didn't know anything else. I mean, I mean, I really abandoned myself. I mean, and looking back, I shouldn't have, but I did. But we just did what we could to get through it. So I'm sorry if I've rambled through this episode. I really have so much to say about the whole thing, which is why I really want to write a book. And so I really need to start doing that so I can just have all those fresh details. But I want you guys to know that life is guaranteed to throw us curveballs. There's going to be times where are so hard and things are going to happen that we don't understand. And our plans are not going to always go the way we want because God does have greater plans than we do for us. And sometimes it doesn't mean doing what we want. And, you know, sometimes that's okay because we don't always know best. And just letting your faith drive you and having trust in God and his plan and just praying for him to help you through those situations and to not do it all on your own because we all need help. And because life is hard, you guys, but life is so beautiful too. But through your faith and through your relationships with really good people that have your back, that will listen to you and understand just what you're going through and be that sound ear. And to let you know, just to give you that perspective to say, hey, you know, and that's what we had in my, in my dad and a lot. He would like put, try to put things in perspective for me and really give me that hope and to just remind me to look to God and just to give him all my struggles and all my worries. So 
So now you guys know our story. You know how it started. You know the struggles we went through for the most part. And you know how we got through it. And so I really hope you guys have learned a little bit more about me and what makes me tick and kind of what drives me. Because, you know, I look at my beautiful boys and I know I still cry when I look at them sometimes because I'm so thankful I'm so freaking thankful they're here and they made it and I want to do right by them and I want to live really boldly to show them how you can live life. Their life is so precious and God really has big things in store for them. I know he does. So I really want to cultivate that joy for life in them always. They have it already, but I want to make sure that I'm living that way too, which really is what drives me to do this podcast and to share, you know, what I've learned or just to share what's on my heart, just to have a community with people where people can come and just, you know, just to feel like they're not alone and they can relate and they can learn from and to grow. And that's what I'm here for. And I really do hope you guys are enjoying this podcast. And um, I really look forward to these recordings. I can't way. I mean, I haven't published any of them yet because I'm trying to prepare myself, but um, I can't wait to launch this podcast and just to see your guys' responses and to see what you guys want to hear about. And please, please, please let me know what you want to hear about, what you like, what you don't like, and all that good stuff. And I just hope you guys have a really awesome day. And I can't wait to record the next episode and have you guys tune in. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Balance. For more information about me or to receive your free goal-setting guide, visit kellyroland.com. Can't wait to talk to you all next time.